City Lights is a community of faith in Jesus, seeking to equip people to exalt Him and extend His kingdom. This message is from our study through the Gospel of John called Believe, Jesus Changes Everything. If you are encouraged and challenged by this message, please share it with someone, post it on social media, or let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. Visiting with us, we try to study right through the scriptures, and so we're in John chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 16. Um, we have, just so you know, we, we love to really examine the scriptures for what they said back in the day in their original language and original context. And uh, one of the things that we do with that is we try to understand it and explain it in such a way that if you've never read the Bible before, you will understand it. And I, I want to say that I was really encouraged recently, um, someone from our church, I heard it through a, a few different people, they said, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that I'm at this church because when I grew up, when I was going to Catholic church specifically, I didn't hear these stories. I don't know these things. And they specifically said, I've noticed that when Chris teaches, he tells the story and he talks about where it's at and why it's there. And I've never heard any of this before. And so I just want to say for those of you who are older than me and have been following Jesus longer than me, um, when I mention some of those things, it's to benefit the whole house. And I know for me, as I continue to hear these stories again and again, my soul's refreshed and I'm encouraged by these things. So I hope you will be as well, because a whole family, if we're going to move together, not only to things like the Swamp Rabbit Crossing, but spiritually and relationally, we need to do it together. We need to consider one another in that way. So I'm just consistently encouraged from a seasoned brother like Brad being able to share a perspective that is uniquely his to other people who are just starting to become part of this church house and they're sharing their perspective as well. So I'm just really grateful to be here with you guys and it's good to be back after being gone for a week. So John chapter 16, um, John chapter 16, I'm going to be teaching through verses 4 through 15 is my hope, at least covering that area. And then I'm going to cover the rest of chapter 16. Uh, I'm planning on that next week as well. Have you guys ever heard the statement, God helps those who help themselves? That statement, God helps those who help themselves, actually comes from, believe it or not, Greek philosophy and playwriting. And guess when, if you've been here for a while, during the intertestamental period, it was about 400 BC before Christ. That's right in the beginning where the years of silence, about 400 years of silence, where God was not speaking through his church, Israel. It was, it was just 400 years of silence. And you find so many, if you study, you'll find so many things now in our culture that we accept as norm and even biblical norm or Christian norm or spiritual norm or heaven norm as we define on earth. It actually comes from a period of about 400 years. So many things were unearthed during that time in our history. So when I, when I thought about the statement, God helps those who help themselves, I didn't know when it came from and I just kept searching, 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 and got right back to there, and I went, ha, I can't believe it, and I went, I can believe it. When the church abdicates, when the church pulls away, when the church goes into by itself and tries to insulate itself from immorality or insulates itself from injustice or preference and tries to define itself in its Christian norms with its Christian organism, we literally abdicate the place of God speaking throughout all creation. He's chosen to do that by his grace through people like you and me. And so when some of the, the, the most isolated and the most withdrawn pockets, uh, withdrawn moments in history for Christianity, when we've withdrawn the most out of, hey, be in the world but not of the world, misapplying that passage... It's very interesting that history records that some of the most poor, toxic teachings 
were offered by philosophy or just feel-goodisms, whatever they are, and the world said, yeah, that seems right. So much so that that statement, God helps those who help themselves, if you go back to the Greeks and pull it forward, the next person to have been found to say that is Benjamin Franklin. And so Benjamin Franklin quoted that. So I have just some images. So he says it. And then if you keep pulling it forward, like, well, where, where else did it come from? You know who said it after him? Adolf Hitler actually says it's something pretty similar. God helps only those who are prepared and determined to help themselves. Now this, by the way, this works really well in an American economy. In, a, in the United States of America, pull yourself at your bootstraps. I'm a self-made man or woman. I got where I am by my own effort. And I hear people talk about this with, with race or homelessness. They just go, these people are entitled or these people aren't willing to work hard or these people, and they, they literally have an us and them perspective. And the scripture always had a everyone perspective. It didn't isolate, it didn't exclude. In fact, it's so inclusive that it says all, Romans 3 says, all have been created by God and all have rebelled against God. The, Paul, when he writes to Romans, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what's stunning about this is from the, the Greek philosophers and playwrights to Benjamin Franklin's going like, hmm, that is pretty true. All the way to Adolf Hitler, it's, it's not getting better on the progression here, right? And then... If you actually look it up, I'm sure there are churches where pastors probably title their sermons this. In fact, I found some this week. I didn't read the sermon. I went, oh, my word. They must not have read their Bible because that's not in there. But it cracked me up that I just did a little Google searching. And look at some of these people put. Look at this. God helps those who help themselves, said no one ever in the Bible. <laughs> there were some other comical ones. I, don't, I think I may have put one more in there that it's absolutely hilarious. Oh, yeah. God helps those who help themselves from the book of Second Opinions 316. <laughs> I mean, it's comical, but like this is Christian bubble comical of making fun of ourselves, but yet it still lingers. Because I'd say about 30% of the sites that had that comment were Christian sites. And there were only a few that were going like, wait a minute, have people read the Bible? And you can go to sites that says like all the great quotes from scriptures that actually are not in the Bible. The problem with some of these things, such as this too shall pass, which to me I think is the most commonly quoted non-biblical statement about the Bible, because it even sounds King James, this too shall pass, you know? They're like, it must be right, because it's King Jamesy, you know? Thus thou with thee be, passing thy. No, I'm not making fun of King James, but it, because of the wording of it, people are like, oh, that must be true. So when people are struggling and they're unemployed, they're like, well, this too shall pass. I'm like, now where are you getting that from? They're like, the Bible. I'm like, but that, that idea is not present in the Bible, except for this world passing away and us uh, resurrecting to glory with him, but the circumstances of this life are actually the opposite. If you read through from Genesis to Revelation, it's opposite. Jesus actually prayed for people like you and me. He said, I pray that they're not out of the world, but they're actually goes deeper sent into the world. It's literally the opposite. So sometimes these, these thoughts and these words really need to be not just Bible checked, but check your head too. Now they're, they're encouraging because they're self-soothing. They help, they help you make sense of things and it just keeps you feeling like there's a silver lining with everything. We don't need an additional silver lining. Jesus fought our battles. He literally took the sin and the punishment because of our actions and inactions. Jesus took all of that 
and in a mysterious, glorious way, was crucified. And if he just was crucified, we wouldn't be here today. He rose from the dead three days later, and with that resurrection brought life. And the life that he gives to us is not just some banner or information or knowledge-based things. He literally gives us life by giving us his Holy Spirit. Literally, the third part of the Trinity dwells in people. And when the truth of God, the Holy Spirit, comes on board, we don't need an additional silver lining. The hope of our lives needs to be found. Like Brad just talked about, he goes, it's really not, you know, if you're like, man, is, is, the, is City Lights getting political or about race and gender all that? Brad's right. These are smaller issues. Who the president is here or overseas is a small passing issue. The reason that we're not trying to, if you've studied about the seven mountains of influence, like economy, arts, entertainment, religion, or family, or medicine, the reason this church is about family rather than, quote, religion, is because if we can care for people at the family spot, when kids are growing up and and heal family wounds and brokenness, that they might be restored to their God first, then they're going to rear and love children and send their children like arrows into the world with grace and kindness, And we won't fight over racial battles. We'll go, like Brad said, to the person. And ultimately, we will partner with God because God doesn't work on the outside. He actually works on the inside at the heart level. When Jesus was transfigured in one of the stories in scriptures, Jesus grabs a couple of his buddies and he goes up on just a little above them. And when he goes up there, he literally starts emanating with light. It's called a transfiguration. That word means metamorphosis, but it's a metamorphosis from the inside out. Jesus didn't have light on the outside shining on him. What what his buddies saw was Jesus' true glory starting to shine through his skin, (laughs) literally shining light. His buddies, Peter, one of his buddies, Peter, saw it and just was like, this is the greatest thing on earth. We've got to stay right here and never leave this moment, and let's set up a monument, and let's, let's write about what happened. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 you're missing the point. I'm just showing you the true glory that dwells in you and will dwell in you soon. The same spirit, Romans 8, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in his church. And his church is made up of individuals, you and me, and that's why I envision and dream and salivate in a good way, that little drool emoji about us as a church getting serious about not just being the people of God, but seeing the property of God, the earth, changed for his glory, which is gonna ultimately be for our good. Charles Spurgeon actually got it right. If you look like this guy, you're gonna get some things right. Charles Spurgeon said, it's not God. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God actually helps those who cannot help themselves. That's the gospel. And Jesus, actually, Jesus' first sermon is like, what's Jesus' sermons like? Well, they were a lot shorter than ours, number one. Number two, um, Jesus came on the scene and said things so succinct and so perfect, and we are trying to grow as communicators to do our part and and leave space for the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. We always want to do that. And we're always hopefully providing you actually six days to think about that and 34 or five or 50 minutes to hear us talk at times. But Jesus comes on the scene and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, you are in great shape if you know what bad shape you're in. <laughs> That's all he's saying. It's one thing to go like, I'm in great shape. And you're not, you're deceived. He's like, you are in great shape. You don't need New Year's goals if you recognize that you're so out of shape that you go like, hey, there's no, I'm gonna join the gym here. I'm gonna join it because you said I can come to the gym, but I can't, I mean, I'm incapable of doing anything. Like, I can work with you. And I, I just wanna jump ahead for a moment. Oftentimes we start there with God. 
call it that salvation moment where we recognize our brokenness, the, how, how, how our sinfulness has hurt others and how our sinfulness has hurt us. And we go to God and like, God, I remember, I, remember, I remember becoming a Christian. I was like, God, you literally could love me. Like, how much do you see? How, I mean, I had so many questions from him. Like, people tell me that you love me and want a relationship with me. There's no way you can see and know everything because there's no way that you would include me in that list. And quickly in that conversation, he convinced me it was true. But then I went, so what does that mean about tomorrow and the next day then? Because I want to do well, and I'm pretty impressed with my devotion and dedication. I think I can do things well. And I had to learn that as I continue to make mistakes and sin and, and disobey God and hurt other people, that he went, I accounted for all of that too. Well, then what's the posture of my heart, God? Because I'm not, I can prop up righteousness and doing great things way better than I used to be. And I'm actually, quote, on the outward, I seem better than some of these other people I'm around me that have been Christians their whole life. Like, God, this is great. And he goes, Chris, you're already losing focus. Just stay on me. You're getting better. You could call it in scholarly terms, you becoming more educated about God or Christianity or becoming more sanctified to look and be more like him doesn't make you more righteous. It doesn't move you closer. The word close is a really, uh, I would put that as far as like the second opinions, I'd put that in there as well because close makes you think that sometimes you could do something to be in a better relationship with Yahweh, or there are things that you would do that makes Yahweh say, you're in a 15-minute timeout, I don't want to see you. That's, that's just earthen. And by the way, there isn't just earthen. It's, it's heaven or hell. It's light or dark. So if it doesn't fit in a heaven context, it fits firmly in a hell context. God's the author of heaven, the speaker of light and truth, and the deceiver the devil is competing and throwing out competitive narrative. They're really, and we're not in a neutral space in that regard. So what does God help people with? Does God help people? I mean, this is the question I ask. When I looked at this passage, I simply asked myself this question, does God help people? And if so, what does he help them with? And how does he do it? For my remaining time, that's what I'm gonna try to answer from this passage. That's our question to consider. I'm gonna read. I'm going to start in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It's better for you. It's to your advantage. That word means the same thing in our English language here. It's to your advantage that I go away. And he's not talking about going away to another town. He says, if I don't go away, the helper won't come. It's the Greek word paraclete, which simply just means to come alongside. If you've ever been on a dock, marina, and there's those, uh, it looks, well, it's just a simple um, resource right there that has two pokey metal edges. I'm doing a horrible job describing this, and I grew up on the water, but you tie your boat around that cleat. That's the word I was looking for. Para with alongside cleat. And so Jesus is saying, hey, it's better for me to not be around, but Jesus, we, we want to be with you. We want to be next to you. We want to cling next to you. I mean, we've, we've been tied to you. This is great. I'm going to untie myself to you so that you will be permanently, eternally, temporarily and foreverly tied to who I am. And the disciples, they could certainly look at their interactions with Jesus and go like, man, I was, you know, there, here's another uh, poor word in our culture. This is not about calling out. Uh, if you've been here a long time, I don't spend time wasting time talking about all the things that aren't true. We need to focus on what is true and we'll be able to identify the phony really quick. But another one of the statements is, hey, you need to get right with God, which means God changed. 
which means God moved out, which means God's no longer in you to get right with him. There's a place for acknowledgement and repentance. God, I've, I've wronged you. And I'll tell you what, most of the things that lead me to repentance is how sick things have made me. And then I bring them to God and I go, this must not even pale to comparison of how this hurts you. And he points me back to the cross and said, I paid for it. Let's live in freedom. Come on. So Jesus says, I need to go so that you can be cleated, wrapped up, tied to the helper. It's also another way you can call this actually is the friend, by the way. Jesus talks about like, hey, man, my best friend's going to come. You can call him helper. You can call him paraclete. He will, if I don't go away, though, he won't come to you. And so Jesus was one physical being. He was, Father, Son, Spirit have always been spiritual, but Jesus put on the earth suit. And so when Jesus would go hang out with Peter and James and John on their own, they're like, stink, where did Jesus go again? And how come I'm not part of the in crowd? You know, they've dealt with all those things too. And, and Jesus is like, man, it's gonna be an advantage. And Peter's like, no way, man, I always go with you. And he's like, yeah, but there's gonna be times when, well, ultimately my plan is to be with each person, not just you. And Peter, it's not because you're my favorite. You just have a lot more to learn than everybody else. Maybe that was really what was going on. That just came to me right now. And I'm thinking, maybe that's why. So if you get a whole lot of attention, like God's speaking to me all the time, maybe there's a reason for that. <laughs> Good scholars have actually said that in history is now my mind's going like, oh, yeah. So, but if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete to you. Just pause for a moment. If, if Jesus was literally physically your like, closest friend and you did everything with him. He actually found you in your career and he said, hey, do you want to see the, what the kingdom of God looks like on earth? Do you want to see what it looks like for heaven and earth to meet? And you're like, uh, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good day. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Who are you? And he's like, well, why don't you just come follow me and you'll watch it happen. And that's what happens for three years. Can you imagine the day that he goes, hey, change of plans, at least in your mind. We're not going to keep hanging out the way we are anymore. Whoa, what do you mean? I mean, we're still going to hang out, right? But those other guys, I knew Thomas. I mean, I've, I've had my eye out of him and Judas. Like, you, what do you mean? He's like, no, no, no. It's better that I go away and go back to where I came from. And when I do that, it'll be like I'm with you nonstop all the time. But just if you get in their shoes, this was not a super encouraging message. Oliver talked about that last week, that when we believe in the kingdom of God and we live in the kingdom of God with, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, that there's actually going to be persecution. Some people actually already in their hearts hate the kingdom of God. They hate the idea of forgiveness because they've been hurt so much or they've hurt other people so much. They don't have to deal with those things. That's a kingdom value, forgiveness. And so for Jesus to say, hey, it's better, we're on the other side of it. You know, Jesus looked at our day right here, 2018, and goes, I'm so excited for then. But if you and I were hanging out with Jesus, we wouldn't be like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 you, like, no, <laughs> don't go anywhere. Don't do that. But Jesus is like, there, there are intentions that I have that you're unaware of that are gonna be so good for you. So he goes on to say, this is what it'll be like when my friend, the paraclete comes. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because these people do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to be with my father and you'll see me no longer when I do this. In verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And then he just caveats it. He, he, he puts a, a, a point of understanding here. He goes, listen, I have so many things I still wanna to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth, which is another synonym, another name for him, when the spirit of truth comes, he's gonna guide you into all the truth. 
For he won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he, whatever he hears from me and Father God, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. I'm gonna teach on that portion next week. I just wanna make a, a few clarifying points about some of these things, and I'm grateful that I'm gonna teach on this for two weeks because I'm gonna be able to come back around on other things. So in case you're wondering, hey, you're gonna say more about that? I probably will next week. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. The word conviction is oftentimes used in our court system. And when you're about to receive your conviction, it literally is how long will you be punished for and what kind of punishment you will receive. That's not how this word conviction reads. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Some helpful synonyms or helpful words to understand this word convicts would be expose. And my favorite of these, it's not a word we use. I've never used it before, but he undeceives you about sin, the way you think about righteousness and the way you think about judgment. Isn't that interesting? That means God is so budgeted for the fall and the rebellion against him to have such significant ramifications and repercussions that one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is actually removing all the deception off of you so you can see, so you can hear, so you can know. And these are very significant and important words for every one of us. I love how Henry Alford, he's a Bible commentator, wrote about the Bible and preached about the Bible in the 1800s. Let me read to you this quote. Each man's conscience has some glimmering of light on each of these sin, righteousness, and judgment. Some consciousness of sin, some sense of what is right and wrong, and some power of judgment of what is temporary and worthless. But here we go. This is so important. Because a lot of us are like, I, I know a lot about sin. I know a lot about what's right. And I know a lot about judgment. I'm obviously gifted with those three things. Well, he says, but all of these are unreal and unpractical until the convicting work of the Holy Spirit has worked in you. So you might understand sin really, really well from experience or from study. You might understand what is right and wrong based on biblical law. You might best think that you know how to execute judgment. But what this passage is saying is not a single person on earth will understand any of those three things until the Holy Spirit exposes or undeceives you about it. Practically, I hear people go, well, that's a sin, but that's a sin for you, but that's not a sin for me. That means that they do not believe that there is an absolute authority. Oh, well, this is right for me, but it's, it's not right for, that's right for you, but that's not right for me because I'm beyond that. They, again, have put themselves as a position of me and the Holy Spirit say this. If the Holy Spirit says something, that's an, we believe that's an absolute statement. So if you have personal exceptions for sin or unsin or righteousness or unrighteousness or judgment to some and not to others, including yourself, you literally have decided that you're the absolute. And one of the reasons that I believe the scripture makes it very clear that we are not supposed to cast judgment, we, you, every one of us should use judgment. When I walked up those stairs, I used judgment. I was judging how far apart the stairs are. Our last step is about four inches above the platform. It's very strange. We haven't had a lot of people tripping on it, but we should. But they've used judgment to make a decision that is best. It's easy to understand what that looks like right there. 
But when we look at other people, this is, this is the giveaway. We tend to look at sin and righteousness and judgment on the outward, but the Holy Spirit looks at sin and righteousness and judgment at the heart, the inward. So when Brad talked about these are not race issues or gender issues or finance issues or abuse issues, at the ultimate, it's the heart of people. He's just reflecting what the scriptures make very clear. So if you are to cast judgment and say, this is so, and this is the repercussion, you're in, if you're doing that as a, a follower of God, you're ultimately saying, I know exactly what's going on in the heart. And not only is my judgment correct, but my application and my punishment installation is the best way to heal your heart. You are the most stunning emotional, spiritual, physical, relational, psychological healer on earth if you can do that. Just because we have information and maybe somebody has provided plenty of experiential uh, information over and over again where you can go like, it's obvious this is what's going on. I don't know that any one of us, myself included, can consistently see as God sees at the heart level. We are so drawn to the outwards. One of the ways we can talk about this is man tends to look at the hands. God always looks at the heart. And we love to look at what our hands are doing too as far as I'm not sinning as much. I'm living more right, which gives me the ability to judge those who are not. We tend to be the most judgmental with the things that we're most successful at. Speaking to myself as well. Eugene Peterson um, interpreted the, the literal Bible, but he put it in conversational language. And sometimes I look at the message just because I'm curious how he'd say things. He says, John 16, verse 4 and 5, like this. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll expose the error of, godless, of the godless world's view of sin, which means there's a, a way of justifying their actions, which has been true throughout all of Scripture, and righteousness and judgment. Listen, he'll show them that their refusal to believe in him, in Jesus, is their basic sin. Do you know how we should talk about sin from this passage? There's really one sin that is the ultimate sin. It's, to not, it's not just believing in Jesus, it's believing Jesus. Believing in him, that there is a God, that his name is Jesus, is good. But to actually believe him, John states, you know, John talks about believing in Jesus or belief 99 times. That's why our conversation is called Believe. Jesus changes everything. And if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which in the New Testament, those are called the Gospels. These are the stories written about Jesus, and they were firsthand witnesses. Do you know that the other three books combined, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, actually mention uh, how many times Jesus, or how many times they mention the word believe. Matthew uses it 10 times, Mark uses it 10 times, and Luke only uses it nine. So 29 times compared to 99 times. I'm convinced as a, a guy who studies the scripture that John's intent was, I only have one message to share and you can't miss this one. Believe Jesus. Do you see that Eugene Peterson put it perfect? Your refusal to believe Jesus is your core issue. Because if we believed Jesus, listen to this, if we believed Jesus, we would understand sin rightly. Because Jesus didn't wake up, I don't believe Jesus ever woke up and went, oh, hey, Father, I'm going to do my best to not sin today, all right? So let's do this thing, come on. Nor do we even go like, woo, I'm going to show people how unsinful I am, let's walk on water. He just fellowshiped with his Father, believed that God's will, his plan, his idea, his heart on earth is what Jesus would put his hands to. May my hands reflect your heart, Dad. May my hands reflect your heart. 
And that's the picture for us. And if, if we were to draw, have our attention drawn by the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit was to illumine, light up our heart, do you know what he would show us? Your basic issue is not drug addiction, not sexual promiscuity. It's not a sexuality issue. It's not a, a Dave Ramsey with your finances. It's not about losing weight, gaining weight. It's ultimately a heart issue where Christ is truly not I use a little bit of churchy language and I'm gonna pull it back into better language, that Christ is at the center. He's on the throne. He is literally not just commander in chief, but he is the exclusive partner that you're married to. Healthy marriages check in on one another. Uh, they just, I think yesterday or the day before, I, I was eating some food and my wife came out and was like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't know that uh, you were gonna continue to just eat without checking in with me. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? She's like, well, I just thought, you know, you'd say, hey, I'm going to eat something. And then we could have went out to breakfast together because I want to go out for breakfast. And I was like, oh, that's good. And I was like, well, I don't know that we always talk about, you know, when, hey, I'm going to eat something. You know, I don't think we always check with each other or an ounce. And, but her point was simply like, hey, if we're, if we're in this together, it wasn't a fight. If we're in this together, let's, let's do this together. And I love Waffle House, and that's where she wanted to go. So that's like a one, one and a half times a year, she might be willing to go. And I'm literally eating cereal but we still ended up going to Waffle House. And man, I had heartburn yesterday afternoon. Goodness gracious. I, I mean, I, some of you guys who experienced that, I'm, I'm, I have an empathetic spirit in me now because that was so rough. I was watching a movie with that heartburn. Probably looked like I was really uncomfortable in the movie. I'm like scooting around and all. But I went at uh, 1130, so it was all people over 60 in there and then me, which I love. So you get a discount. It's good. How does the helper ultimately help us? I just want to put these... These, um, these four points up on the screen for you. This is really where I'm gonna pull the message together and just conclude it today. I'm really grateful that I don't have to try to teach on everything this morning. Um, Hannah, that's uh, how the helper convicts, exposes, and undeceives. The word undeceives is such a strange word, but it's, I think it's really gonna be helpful for us to have a fresh take of what that means. I don't know if it's gonna go on the screen, but either way. Number one, this is how he does it. He undeceives our minds through correction. And so... One of the ways that he practically makes this happen is Proverbs chapter three. He undeceives our minds through correction. So how, how does God help? How did Jesus say, hey, the Holy Spirit's gonna come along and he's gonna help you? Well, he's going to correct where we're, we're misled. Chapter three of Proverbs, verse 11 and 12, but one through 12 is just a beautiful swell of communication. But verse 11 says this, my son, my son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't despise the correction of God. Or be weary of his reproof when he corrects you. That's a, that's a blessing. When you're hurt and somebody doesn't only care for you, but they help you understand why and how you can not do that again, that is, that's kindness, although it might not feel like it. For the Lord reproves, so we have the word discipline, we have the word reproof, reprove. The Lord reproves, God our Father reproves him whom he loves as a father, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Fathers, mothers in this room to our physical children, or neighbors, uh, when we have this kind of relationship, it's out of love that we do it. Now, there's all kinds of conditions about how we love, but it's ultimately a loving thing to help somebody. God's like this. One of the ways that he undeceives us is by correcting us. And he does this with our mind. He corrects us. And some of that correction is just simple truth. Don't do this and do this. And so it's like, why are you holding back on me? He's like, well, then go and do all that. Let's see what ends up happening to you. Not in a mean way, but in a way of saying, you, you lack sight on what I see. One, the second way that I believe he undeceives our heart, and you'll see mind, heart, uh, 
soul strength or the, the ways that I, I offer this for you guys because that's how the scriptures say we're to love God with these parts of us, a fully integrated person. He undeceives our hearts through kindness. Romans chapter two. Therefore, you have no excuse, O person, man or woman, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on, on another, you condemn yourself because you made yourself the judge are practicing the very same things because <laughs> you're judging, <laughs> you get it. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh person, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Because by the way, when you do that, you're stepping down and going like, hey, why don't I take over the whole judgment thing for you? As though maybe through your education or sanctification, you got to the place of being able to have better perspective than anybody else. So you say, I'm going to decide what's right or wrong for you. You literally say, because I'm an exception. In fact, that's so Jewish, by the way, because you could not bring an accusation out against somebody if you've stolen something and 10 years later you see somebody stealing. Do you know that you would not be a fit person to bring up an accusation because you've been guilty of the same thing? So when Jesus actually goes to the adulterous woman and sits down there with her, and when he does this, he's protecting her because they're about to throw rocks, he's gonna take them too. When he says, hey, if any of you is guilty or not guilty, then throw the first stone. I think contextually, he wasn't just like, hey, you had a bad thought in your mind and this and that. He's like, if you've never committed adultery, then, then throw a stone. And he actually goes on to say, if you've thought about a woman or a man lustfully in your mind, sexually in your mind or covetously in your mind, you've committed adultery. All he's saying is, I'll receive your accusation as long as you've never been guilty of it. Jesus was all kinds of lawful. They just weren't willing to get that close to the law because they liked their application of the law. So do you presume, verse four is the only one I wanted to read, but do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? He's basically saying, hey, God's being too rich to you. He's being too kind. He's being too forbearing. Let me go ahead and tell you how it is because he's delaying. <laughs> it's great. Thank you. You know, God's like, you got that one down there? Thanks. I'm going to head over to this other zip code then. Thank you for that. Appreciate that you've gotten to that place. Don't you know that it's the kindness of God that's meant to change? Repentance means you literally are going one way and you see and know something like, oh my goodness, I'm going the wrong way. This is going to end bad. I, I changed my way. Like, I, I get it. Oh, it's the kingdom of God. It's this way. Just not a functional change. It's a deep spiritual change. So God undeceives our heart through kindness. And what does kindness look like? Patience, forbearance, rich and abounding with mercy, not giving you what you do deserve. That's God's way of helping us. The third one, he undeceives our bodies through consequences. Galatians chapter six, do not be deceived. Verse seven, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. Meaning like he, he knows what's going on. Whatever you sow, you're also gonna reap. Whatever you do, you're gonna receive repercussions. There's gonna be consequences, positive or negative. For the one who sows to his own flesh, doing what he or she wants to do, self-centeredness, will from that investment reap. There's gonna be fruit from that. But the one who sows into the Holy Spirit, that marriage, you're gonna reap eternal life, reap uh, bountiful length of days and depths of days. And number four, how does the helper convict, expose, or help us become undeceived? I believe he undeceives our spirit through the testimony of his spirit. <laughs> it's one of the greatest ways he does it. It's the deepest place on the inside is where the Holy Spirit lives in you. Romans 8, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear is not one of the ways. Fear as in scared to death is not one of the ways that God moves us. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. 
is the respect of who God is and what he says leads to wisdom and knowledge. Not the, I'm so scared of you, God, leads to wisdom and knowledge. That leads to plain hide and seek. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Daddy, 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 Father. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the greatest testimonies of God work as the Holy Spirit. This is my final statement because this is such a, this is the one we can't miss. How does God help us? He's given you his Holy Spirit who's on board in a believing person. If you believe Jesus, and it probably looks like I believe in him and I believe to trust him and do my life with him. One of the most significant works that he does, he gives you his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit consistently undeceives you. When you don't think you're a child of his, you don't think you belong to him, one of the greatest testimonies of the Holy Spirit is saying, he's not going, hey, it's gonna get better, don't worry. Hey, you did better than yesterday. Good job, buddy. Hey, sweetheart, you're doing so good. He just goes, we are children. We belong. We belong. We belong. You belong to God. Jesus Christ did everything. Jesus Christ did everything. Oh, that, that thought you had right now that you think you don't belong, you don't think God loves you, you think maybe you lost this or gained that. No, no, it's all about Jesus. One of the reasons I believe in history that the Spirit has been so mysterious to the church is because the Holy Spirit consistently points to Jesus and said, Abba, Father, God the Father sees you exactly like he sees Jesus. Just look at Jesus and you're gonna see what you're like. One of the greatest ways that God undeceives us, his help of undeceiving us, is he reminds you that you're always gonna be his. There's never gonna be a point where you're so his that you go, I really got to do all these righteous things and I got to really do all these judgment things. Let me just give it away just in case you're curious of how, what this actually means. Check it out. The Holy Spirit helps us about sin and says it's this bad. It's worse than you ever could imagine what you did. But Jesus has loved you more than you could ever imagine. Well, what? How, how can that be? It was the most righteous, right thing to do. Jesus is the righteous. So your sin, when you go, oh, it's so bad. He's like, yes. And Christ has covered that completely. Oh, that's injustice. And he goes, we see it as righteousness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What? That's amazing. He goes, and the judgment that's to come is for those who do not believe the testimony of these two. That my sin is not so great. It's not so bad. Maybe that Jesus didn't forgive it or I've got to do something. And righteousness is dependent on myself. Those things become fruits. The beauty is when we understand what the Holy Spirit says about sin, we're gonna see what the Holy Spirit says that Jesus is the righteous who covers sin. And we're gonna realize that if Jesus covers the sin that I can never even calculate of how much rebellion I've done and self-centeredness I've done, but the Holy Spirit continues to say, look at Jesus Christ, he's the right one then that's going to actually liberate me from even going to that third place of I should be the judge. Because I realize like, I don't have any shoes. I don't have ground to stand on. I'm only here. Like God helps those who goes, I can't do anything. He goes, ah, oh, that's what a sinner sounds like. But I call you son. What? Yes, I give you my righteousness. Oh my goodness. Well, what about judgment? He goes, judgment has fallen on me when I died on the cross. I rose from the dead and I give you my righteousness. Now the judgment that will take place is still on me and I will execute judgment to the deceiver but you, my child, should no longer be deceived. Let me pray. God, we're grateful for this morning. Grateful just to start looking at this passage. Holy Spirit, I'm not telling you to do something you're not already doing, but I'm just so grateful 
that though one another we go our separate ways, that you are going all the ways that these people are going with them. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for what you do. I know it sounds silly. This is not me giving you permission, but I just want to say, Holy Spirit, keep doing what you're doing. We'll never have words to ask or imagine the things you have in store. So we fear you in the sense we say yes to what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. City lights and visitors, you are sent into the world. Go, go, go.